0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Power Skills. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're talking about speaking the language of finance. As we all know, technology is rapidly changing finance, and the key to success in adapting to that change is understanding the language. In financial reporting, the language is built around XBRL. Today we'll be speaking with Campbell Pride, CEO of XBRL U.S., about the approaches to preparing XBRL documents and its impact on the future of the financial reporting profession. So with that, welcome, Campbell, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, Olivia. Thanks for having me.
0: So, I want to kind of set the stage with some basics. Uh, so, first of all, what is a standard, and and maybe compared to a data standard specifically?
1: All right. So, a, a standard is is designed as as a standardized way that everyone can agree um, on how they should interact with each other. And so, there's many standards. From um, English language as a standard to um, UPC barcode to railway tracks to containerization containers um, that uh, move freight around. So all, all of these things are standards um, and the, the overall idea behind a standard is to make it um, faster to do things, make it cheaper to do things um, and then make it, it um, any activities you're performing more efficient and more effective. So that, that's the overall goal of a standard so you can get economies of scale um, and everyone is doing things um, in a standardized way rather than crafting something by hand every time. Um, and, and then the same principles apply to a data standard as well. Um, and a data standard um, is, is designed to help improve the creation um, and the reporting of, of data. Um, and it means that you can apply automation to it. So having that having that standard available means that anyone who's built a tool or is building software, if they build that software in compliance with that standard, um, that means that they can have a mark, you know, they're not just doing it for one particular user, There's a whole market out there of people who can use it. So the idea is to be able to drive the cost down of preparing data, being able to manipulate data and be able to do things with it. Um, so that, that's the, the, the basic goal, and, and particularly in XBRL being a standard, that's one of the goals that we set out to do when we developed the standard was to, over the long term, make sure that we could um, get a good um, base of people who are providing tools and support for the standard, um, with the long term goal of being able to drive down the costs and make it easier um, for everyone involved in the financial reporting process um, to be able to create data that's useful for a wide, the widest range of possible users.
0: Okay, And so how you mentioned a little bit, but tell me, how does it connect to financial research and analysis? Why is standardized data an important tool when conducting financial research and analysis?
1: Right. So um, today, um, historically, when... um, researchers or analysts have, have used data, you know, that data has been communicated to them through the through a 10K or a 10Q. And those documents originally were paper-based documents. Um, so the analysts would have to get those, see them in the mail or get them delivered to them. And then they'd have to go through and they would have to pull all that data out by hand. So that, this kind of goes to the point of automation. I it mean, it very, very, a very, very, very manual process. Um, and many of these analysts would pull all this data out and they'd put it into spreadsheets, they'd put it into their own models. Um, and then they'd use that data um, and then be able to drive forecasts and expectations for the future based on those. Now with with a standard, obviously many of the, the analysts want to be able to pull that data in and the, the data aggregators move into that market to basically provide that data to analysts so people could use, could use that information. Um, and they were really, you know, for, for many of us, that was really seen as a, you know, a, an asymmetry in the marketplace where there was, you know, that information should be available. To, to, to everyone and a much, you shouldn't need an intermediary to take the data from a non-standardized format and put it in a standardized format. And with the data aggregators, you've got different, um, you know, they're performing a service and they'd put that data in their standards. So once you are using a data aggregator standard, you're kind of locked into one, um, you couldn't switch. So one of the things that we tried to do with XBRL is make it a standard that could be used by everyone. Um, and so then that could be used, an analyst could then hook that up on that data, and then they can bring it into their into their models. Um, there's a, that's on the model side. Then the, you've also got on the quant side, um, where people that want to be able to use large amount of, large amount of data to do um, to build models for investment models or you know, public policy or whatever it may be, um, then that data would be available to them, um, and then they can pull that data in um, seamlessly, and then not you know. You know have access to all the information and then their models wouldn't be dependent um, on sort of manually doing all the work. So it really lends itself to, to automation primarily, um, but there are a whole bunch of other benefits that spin off from that.
0: And another question about standards before we move on to more specifically XBRL, what is the difference between an open non-proprietary standard versus a commercially owned proprietary standard?
1: right so with with an open standard um there are no licensing fees associated with it um and you can take it and you can adapt it and you can use it however you want um Things like with standards like XBRL, for example, you could take that standard and then you could change it and build commercial products on that if you wanted to. Um, but that base standard is freely available for anyone to use, to take, um, to reuse, and reuse it for any purpose that you want. With a with a non-proprietary standard, um, you're basically given a license to use that um, to use that standard, and then you're or that, that particular mechanism that you're using, or tool, or product, or whatever it is, um, and then you're bound by the terms of that license. Technically, with something like Xperol, there is a license that basically gives you a license to do whatever you want with it, um, but that, that gives you a lot more flexibility with what you can do with the data um, that you get or the data that you're preparing. It you, know, you have full ownership and control.
0: So I think a lot of the people... Uh, attending today know quite a bit more about this subject than I do. but for somebody like me, uh, t- tell me what xbrl is as if <laughs> as if I have no um, experience in in finance and accounting
1: right so so as as I mentioned xbrL is a standard. Um, so I assume you have a little bit of knowledge that it, it would be, it's the, the equivalent of if you took a, um, a blank Excel sheet, for example, and, and what XBRL does is it just establishes some rules of the road. So it would be like saying, oh, I've got my blank Excel sheet. It's like, I'm gonna give you some guide ropes around how you should be doing that data, um, entering that data. So it might set up the columns and the rows for you and say, this data goes here. Um, and then you can, how that structure is, is, de- is defined an XBRL standard. So we have something called a taxonomy and you can just think of that like as a template, um, no different than a a template in Excel or a a template that the IRS gives you like a a 1099 form. Um, So the taxonomy you can consider is like that's a form and it tells you this is all the data that needs to be reported Um, and then the actual the data that you put in is the XBRL data. But it, it 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 allows someone who wants to collect information to be able to define a structure of how that information um, should be um, presented. And as a result, there's, there's the things that are standardized, the things like, the units that you're reporting the data in so when i say units it's like oh this is us dollars so if you if someone sends you a spreadsheet and it's got some numbers um you, you know is it us dollars is it euros Is a kilowatt hours you know those numbers you don't necessarily know if you're just randomly picking that up so expirable basically in a a structured way standardized way specifies what the units are Um, it also specifies what the periods of time are so you know how how do i define a a range of time a year for example or a month that's standardized so if someone's looking at data in an XBRL format they're going to immediately know any given number what period that applies to Um, and then also things like um, What's the, what, what is the actual concept, what's the term I'm talking about, that's also standardized as well. And those are defined in a taxonomy, um, but you, it gives you a lot more flexibility too around how you, def, how you break numbers down. So I want to break numbers down by legal entities, or I want to break them down by segments, or I want to break them down by geography. Um, XBRL has standardized ways of representing all those different breakdowns. So at the end of the day, basically the, the definition of the template that collects the data is standardised, and the data that it actually collected is standardised as well. And in something I'm sorry, like, go ahead, Kim. Yeah, and something like SEC reporting, um, the the FASB is basically publishing that template. Um, and then for IFRS reporting, the IAS, IASB is defining that template. So that you, you still need to have standard setters involved in the creation of XBRL, um, but those standard setters are really you know, involved in saying, this is the template for the data that you should be reporting, um, and we're gonna publish that in an XBRL format. So it tries to reduce the ambiguity, um, make it very really clear what the, the data that's required to be reported is, and that's in the taxonomy, and then someone has to report that information will then report that information in XBRL. And then there's a number of checks in the standard, which basically make sure that you're reporting that information um, in compliance with what the template specifies. Okay.
0: And are there, are there any alternatives or competitors to XBRL?
1: Um, so 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 generally um you know obviously people were collecting data before xbrl um and financial data was being collected and that that is paper (laughs) paper is is an alternative and there are some other um you know data collection mechanism methods that are available so you can define templates and things like xml you can define them in things like JSON. Um, however, they're not really set up for reporting. They're very, very broad. Whereas XBRL kind of says, you know, this is this is financial data, so we expect information to be reported in periods. We expect. Um, you know, units of measures to be used. We expect that things are gonna have, you know, balance types on them. We expect that certain numbers are gonna to add together in certain ways. Um and we expect that certain data is, is grouped together. So so XBRL kind of specifies all of that, all of that kind of metadata so that you can collect this information whereas if you're if you're using a more broad data collection me- mechanism like paper or xml or json it gives people it gives folks a lot more flexibility in how they can report which is fine um if one regulator is collecting data in xml one's collecting one in paper one's collecting one in json but you're going to need different tools to use all that and and if if one, if someone's asking for information using XML, you know, they're all, all of those different XML um, requests are going to be different. So you can't use the same tools. you're going to use different tools to handle it. So what we're trying to do is, with the standard is trying to make it, you know, let's get everyone using the same, the same mechanism. So then that can help to drive down the cost and make it easier. People only have to learn one thing. Makes perfect sense. And.
0: Which of the we talked about the U.S. the the SEC a little bit. Which of the other U.S. regulators have adopted XBRL and why?
1: So today, the the as you mentioned, the SEC has been using XBRL for. You know, initially in 2008, they started collecting um, financial data, like the 10Qs and the 10Ks, um, and the SEC has been expanding that collection, um, which includes also mutual funds um, and and then a number of um, different funds. So that you know, basically the the fund reporting mechanisms that uh, fund reporting has been basically moved pretty much to XPRL. Um, and the financial data collection is being used by XREL from the SEC. They've they've, intru- they've recently started collecting um, uh, pay versus performance data in an XREL format. So this, that's reported in the proxy. So now we're starting to see proxy being reported in XBRI. You know, maybe they'll expand that, I don't know. But, um, so the SEC is, is, is you know, starting to... Um, expand the the amount of data that they're collecting in an XBRL format. Um, and typically, the SEC's taking the approach of, we're, we're going to collect data in XBRL, which is you know relatively unstructured. If we don't know really what they're going to report, we're going to use XBRL. And then for highly... Um, Highly structured data, um, they have they have used XML in the past, but they seem to be using more XBRL going forward for that. Um, the other regulators who are using XBRL and have used it for a long time has been the FDIC, so that's the the bank regulator. Um, so all banks have been reporting in XBRL, and you can get that data that's available on the um, what's called the FFIEC website. Um, so all banks have been reporting in an XBRL format for at least 10 years, and uh, more actually since 2005, I think it is. So you've got the FDIC data there. And then recently, um, the FERC, which is the FERC, um, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, started collecting XPRL data as well. And that applies to public utilities. So if you want to, if you want to pull public utility data that's available in XPRL, um, it also applies to oil pipelines, um, gas pipelines as well, and also something called balancing authority. And that, those are entities which are responsible for um, balancing the grid. So there's a there's a number of there's a number of um, you know, different industries that the FERC is covering there, but that's basically financial data, plus a lot of it is also performance data as well. If you want to if you want to see sub, how many substations or utility controls, that data is also available on XBRL too now. Yeah. That's that's within the US. They're the, they're the main regulators who have been collecting data in XBRL. Um, outside of the US, generally, um, XBRL has been used for securities, regulators, um, and um, bank regulators but also it's also been used a lot for um, tax authorities as well although tax authorities in the u.s haven't started using XBRL well yet but that that's been one of the more obvious um, use cases outside of the united states
0: So a lot of the people, Campbell, on the call are uh, early in their career, some students even. Um, what is someone entering the finance and accounting profession? Where? How do they get their training in XBRL? How are they typically like exposed to XBRL in the first place?
1: So um, a number of a number of universities um, have courses in XBRL. And, an, and typically we've seen that in really in the finance space. Um, so finance um, professors have been using XBRL um, and they've tried to combine that with things like you know software development and let me say like writing Python and stuff like that to be able to pull data from the SEC. so that, that's primarily, where the universities have been using it, um, and then academics have also been using it for research. So typically today, most of the most of the effort in academic is probably going to be more probably students doing masters or doctorates, um, and they're going to be getting exposed to XBRL. in in mainline courses. Some some schools are teaching XBRL uh, as a number of courses. Um, through the you know through that academic pathway, although not, not all schools are, are doing that as part of a you know as a core um, accounting curriculum. So we've been work, we've worked with the AICPA to provide courses as well, so that you can come and you know, do a basically a fundamental course um, through the AICPA and Experiel International i uh, will talk about what that is in a minute. But XBRL International also offers courses which you can go and sign up for. Um, and then XBRL US has a number of different courses we, we offer as well that people can use to familiarize themselves with XBRL. And then there's a lot of, you know, a lot of that stuff is free and, uh, and available for folks as well that you can you can read about it. XBRL as a standard has a specification which basically um, is documented and is publicly, as I mentioned earlier, freely available. So you can download that and you can read that. And it has something a sort of primer, which is basically a document which explains how things work. Um, and so then you can, you know, you, if you want to technical about it, you can read that as well and, and, you know, to get a better understanding of how the specification works. Today there are, last count, I, I think it's probably close to about 500,000 filings with the SEC. Um, so there's lots of examples you can go and look at. Um, and lots of information you can also look at. Um, and we also on our website make something. You know, sometimes it's better just to play with the data and use it. We have an Excel plugin that we make available, so you can go if you use Excel, you can go and, and um, install that plugin, and then you can basically you just have to register with us, but you can register for free, and then you can start pulling data via the API, and you can pull any data from any filings that are made um, with the SEC or made with the FERC, and that data is available. So you can. It's a pretty easy plugin, so you can start. Play with the data and, and see how to use it. Um, you can do a lot more complicated stuff if you want, but obviously that's up that's up to you. But uh, you know, probably one of the better ways to try and start to familiarize yourself with it is to, to play with the data. Um, and if you want to see how companies are using it, you can also go and look at their filings with the SEC. They're all freely available.
0: Those are great resources. Thank you, and uh, and good advice. So it sounds like it is being taught in some schools, but maybe not. Uh... At you know maybe more at a higher level. Do you see that changing in the future?
1: Yeah, I. You know we reach out to the academic community and we have a number of members who are um, who are universities and we work with a lot of universities and we help them um, in terms of developing coursework for students. So I, I think that's just going to grow over time. I you know it because it's relatively new. Within the accounting profession, a lot of the you know a lot of professors may not be familiar with it, so they don't include it in their course um, in their coursework. So I, I would imagine that's only going to expand over time as you get. Um, as you get professors who are exposed to it, you know, it was the norm, then um, they would teach, teach that teach that more broadly. Um, and as I mentioned, a lot of, a lot of the, the colleges, you know, they tend to really touch on it once you get to the doctorate level, because if you're going to be doing accounting research, then, you know, you have to use, really use XBRL data.
0: Question from the audience, and I just want to again encourage um, everyone to submit their questions. Does the general public have access to XBRL data generally, such as electric utility data? Campbell.
1: Yeah. So that that data is that data is publicly available. If you wanted to go and see that, you can download that from. Um, you can download that from the FERC website. They basically make all of those filings available um, and that will include both the quarterly filings and the, the yearly filings so they are available and most of these filings like all the FERC filings and now generally all the SEC filings are available in a format called inline X so it's kind of it's human readable it's not like a bunch of um, angle brackets so you'll, you you'll see it it'll just look like a regular HTML document. Um, and then you can you can in the case of the SEC filings you can basically um, they have a viewer so you can view that data um, for the FERC filings there's a viewer you can install in your in the browser and then you can look at it up. and then that, that gives you the ability to be able to to roll over the numbers, see what they are, um, but then be able to extract all that data if you want into a into a spreadsheet or some other data analysis tool. There, there are a number of tools that are available that you can use to basically um, basically just extract the information. And that's what predominantly we do. We we extract all the data once it's filed with the SEC and we make it available in the database. And that's why I mentioned you can get it through the API. But there are a number of open source tools available as well, which you can use to pull the data out. Now that obviously requires a little bit more work and you have to do a little bit of you know probably have to spend a couple of days to learn how to do that but um that that is that are additional thing you can do as well
0: so question that i have is is who is really responsible for xbrl at an organization like within the finance team typically
1: um so in in, in a in a corporation that's filed there, would cover a couple of them. So like if you're a company who is filing with the SEC, then that's usually gonna be the, the controller's office. Um, they're typically, whoever was responsible for preparing the filings, um, historically in a paper-based filing has ended up taking on that XBRL role. Um, there are a number of different software that is available that many people use, and they, they differ from um, you know, disclosure management systems that report XBRL, so a lot of that can, a lot of the XBRL, is hidden from you so you just basically go in and um, prepare your financials as you normally would Um, and then basically they'll they'll have um, the tools that will help facilitate creating those filings Um, a number of companies say you know they've always outsourced the creation of their financial statements so they still make that about you know they have their um, their publishers or their filing agents do that for them and a lot of them will do the extra filings for them Um, in the case there's you know as you well know many public companies are very very small Um, so a lot a lot of public companies have revenues of less than five million dollars so there are also so a number of filing agents who, who just specialise in doing those filings. Um, so they basically get them the paper based filing and they'll put it into an, an XBRL format for you. You just you know maybe there's one one accountant in the in the in the organisation. So there's a variety of different ways that that it can be handled, um, and it really is a function of of the organisation.
0: Another question from the audience. For the XBRL add-in, I was wondering if you might be able to elaborate a bit. Would it work only in a certain version of Excel, like X, Excel six, 365, for instance?
1: It, it works in Excel 365, and I think it... <sighs> Yeah, it probably doesn't work. (laughs) And it definitely doesn't work in a version three or four years ago, that's for sure. Um, You probably need to be on the, yeah, at least a version from two years ago. Um, If it's more than two years ago, then uh, you're going to have some trouble. And and the the reason for that is that Excel was updated really so that you could, um, if you pull back data, we we don't necessarily know how much data is going to come back. Um, So, for example, if you ask for, give me all the reports from Apple. Um, it's not like you can go and dedicate 20 lines to it. There may be 200 Apple reports in XBRL at this, at this point. So Excel basically was updated so that you could do queries and then it would populate many cells. And when that feature was enabled, that really made it a lot easier to, develop, to be able to pull XBRL data back into an Excel format. So, you know, I, I think pretty much if you've got um, Office, if, you're, if you've are if you got the online version Office, that works fine. If you've got a version of Excel, which is, the, you know, not more than two years old you can then basically use that API as well
0: so we, we've gotten a, a couple questions here wanting to know a little bit about what exactly XprL is so tell us what it what does it stand for and maybe I know it's hard because you can't share your screen but is there a way that we could kind of give an example to to people who are watching?
1: Yeah, so what it stands for is stands for Extensible Business Reporting Language, and then basically what it is is just like taking a number um, and then putting associating information with it. So if you think of a tax form, which or or TurboTax is an example, um, it's basically XBRL enables you to fill out something like all of that data in TurboTax. When it gets sent to the IRS, it's not like you know that that data gets sent to. Um, the IRS in a a structured format. So if you can imagine how that data is going, it's saying, I reported this much tax, this was my income, this was my, um, these are my credits, these are my my um, deductible expenses all of those numbers are going to have some tag associated with them and that's what XBRL does it just says hey this number represents my total income this number represents my deductions this number represents my solar tax credits and this number represents you know the the amount of payments I've and so XBRL basically says hey I'm just going to do that in a standardized way whereas Someone like TurboTax sends, you know, the IRS publishes a standard and says, hey, this is how we expect this information to come in, and someone electronically sends the data to me. And XBRL is exactly the same thing for, like, financial reports.
0: Okay. Thank you. I think that was helpful. And um, when we talk about, like, unalterable data, right, sometimes we think we might some of us might think about blockchain. Uh, mm-hmm. So, t- tell me, like, what's the difference between XBRL and blockchain in the context of financial reporting?
1: Right. So, um, blo- blockchain is is really, you know, is you think of it as a. Different aspects, but if you think about the blockchain itself, it's really a database of all the data um, and it's got controls on it so that only uh, you can see who's making changes to the blockchain and people can write to that database and that's very controlled. Um, And it's really set up for a public, um, you know, you don't trust anyone in a public environment. You can use a blockchain to be able to have many people writing to a database. And you know, everyone kinda usually has a consensus model, so everyone agrees, yep, that's okay. And then you get the central store of data which everyone agrees on. Typically, um the data that's reported on a blockchain, particularly things like Bitcoin, is you know there's only really one piece of inform or a couple of pieces of information, what's the transaction value or what's your balance. So there's only really there's limited information that's relative is being stored there, Um, but obviously there's lots of participants. Whereas XBRL is is really, you know, that when that data is prepared you know there's lots of data elements you know it would be very difficult to store for example xbrl data on a blockchain because it's just so voluminous Um, and a blockchain as probably many of you know is is once the number the amount of data that's on that blockchain starts it's more Low amounts of data, but um, high high value data. Whereas XBRL, there's lots of data. So to store it on a blockchain is kind of would be difficult. So most most XBRL data today is stored um, on the ecosystem. So it's a massive database with all that data. And typically, there's someone that you trust to store that data, which in this case is the SEC. So it's a different model. That The nature of the data is different um, in the sense that People have they trust that the SEC has got the data right. They trust that no one can change it inappropriately. Um, so, d- depending on what the data model is, you know, you could store XBRL on a blockchain if you wanted to, if it was limited data. Um, so, you kind of, you kind of, that's kind of the, the different paradigms. So, Whereas blockchain is a way to store data, and anyone can write to that blockchain, and everyone trusts it. Whereas XBL is like, what is the package? What is the data that's being sent? Um, you know, and how it's stored is really—it's really up to the regulator or whoever's collecting that information.
0: That makes sense, thank you. So we talked about blockchain, but tell me about the intersection between XBRL and other FinTech terms, Uh, you know, mentioned blockchain obviously, but AI,
1: machine learning, how do they, what's the intersection there? Okay, so, um, so. We talked about a taxonomy, uh, but what really a taxonomy is, is really is it defines a whole bunch of concepts like assets or liabilities or um, my pension liability or my, you know, my pension expense or whatever it is. Um, and when you when you define all those things in a taxonomy, because this kind of information you want to collect, or the FASB defines a the taxonomy, they basically take the entire body of knowledge of the codification, um, as they call it, which is basically all the accounting standards, and they've incorporated that into an XBRL taxonomy. And if you look at a taxonomy, it basically links all that information together. Like, You know, an asset is related to a balance sheet or an asset is comprised of current assets and non-current assets, and that's comprised of accounts receivable um, or whatever. So the the taxonomy is really storing all that information, all that accounting knowledge is being incorporated into a taxonomy. And that taxonomy is queryable. So things like an AI um, can query that taxonomy and derive knowledge from it. Um, It's got the labels, it's got definitions, it's got the references back to the initial so it's a it's a standardised way of storing this information, and this is extremely useful for things like AI engines because it makes it much much easier for them to come up with much better understanding of what those of what those standards are. So you know if you could a- you can ask ChatGPT for example, you know what would be an appropriate element for some term you might have in your accounting statements, and ChatGPT will come back with the XBRL element that it thinks most appropriate, may not be the best element, but it comes back with something. Um, As we all know, some of these are not that accurate. But actually, um, because that that data is there and it's already been defined, um, it's gonna give much higher accurate results. So, you know, um, with things like um, artificial intelligence, having this information in a structured format makes it much, much easier for machine learning algorithms and AI algorithms to be able to work and get much more uh, reliable results.
0: A question from the audience. I think that you had said that FDIC adopted XBRL in 2005. If I want to use any data submitted to the FDIC slash SEC prior to 2005, do you know if there is any effort to convert those data to be XBRL format? Interesting question. Um,
1: I'm not aware of. I'm not aware of anything. But uh, you you'd have to contact the FDIC to, to find out about that. Um, I, I'm just not that familiar with the, the FDIC program to be able to answer that. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. Question: if, could you XB... get, if you want to get the yeah. data since 2005, you can, you can definitely get that just by going to the FFIEC website. Um, they yeah. have a taxonomy as well. Um, then you can down, download all that data. And they make that data available in different formats as well.
0: Could XBRL be used by private companies, and if so, how?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so we, we do have an initiative for um, private companies to report um, insurance data for a surety. for this is for construction contracts. Um, so this, this is an initiative we have um, with the insurance industry. So if I'm a construction company and I want to bond a, uh, a construction project I'm going to do, basically that means get insurance for a construction project, um, you need to provide a bunch of information to the insurance company, including financial data. So a number of these insurance companies are looking to collect this data in an XBRL format as well, particularly information about all the projects that you currently have. Um, currently have in progress and what is the current cost of those and what's the revenue um, they want to know that um, and they also want to know your financials so the insurance industry has um, has already started down that path because it makes it much much easier for them they don't have to you know hand load all that data in and then they it makes it quicker and easier for them to provide insurance particularly when there's a financial guarantee component um, to one of those contracts um, In in a number of other areas, not in the U.S. yet, but in a number of other parts around the world, things like real estate valuations are being put into an Excel format. This Mm -hmm. is in Denmark. So basically, um, that then they they really wanted that data to be in a structured format, so you could do comps um, for commercial property comparison. So you could see, you know, um, it just makes them that so much easier because then people can just have that data that can be available. You don't have to you know, you go around and find all these different cops and house sale prices um or commercial property. Um, sale prices from around um, in that market. So they, they try and make that, that data publicly available so that everyone has access to that information. So there are a number of other uses that it can be used for outside of the regulatory framework. Um, and then one of the other things we were trying to get is to get more contracts being put in an XRL format that you could read those contracts in an automated way as well. But that's kind of, that a lot of that kind of initiative has been more pursued outside of the US at this point.
0: So it's a great segue to the next question I was going to ask you, which is just how is XBRL expanding? Um, one thing that I, I have learned is that uh, there's new legislation. That means that state and local governments need to adopt the standard. Is that right? And and maybe some other examples on on how how it's it's changing and expanding.
1: So yeah, so there, there was a there was a law that was recently passed in November. Uh, in December, uh, called the FDTA, which is the Financial Data Transparency Act, and that requires the use of standardized standards um, across major financial regulators in the U.S., which includes like, the SEC, um, the FDIC, um, the C- uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, um, and also um, the MSRB, which basically collects municipal security data. So, one of you know, obviously, um, if you look at the investment market. Um, equity information is available in an XBRL format. And this would basically mean that data for financial statements in a, in a, in a form called the ACFA um, would be available in an XBRL format. So this is like municipal securities or debt, you know, and this really applies to any um, government entity which is issuing uh, public debt. So the um, so New York City, the city of Chicago, um, any any municipal security, like a water board um, or a, a school district, or any any basically any government entity or a state which is basically issuing bonds, which are going to be um, made available to the public. So they that that information, there is an expectation that's going to be standardised in a machine-readable, non-proprietary format. Um, and so, obviously, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, there's not that much. There's no real alternatives at the moment for financial reporting standards other than XBRL. So I think the expert, you know it does not specifically say it has to be XBRL in the in the legislation. But there is you know if you wanted to do that, there's no other standard that you can really use today, unless you went and recreated the wheel and invented a new one. So it seems likely that 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 standard would be using XBRL. Um, we've done a lot of work to create a, a taxonomy, which uh, an act for taxonomy, which is the um which is the annual comprehensive financial report which basically you know basically lists out about the, the equivalent of the balance sheet or the income statement for a public entity um, and then basically that information um, is usually filed with on the what's called the Emma system which is if you're familiar with Edgar it's the it's the the, the public um, the, the public equivalent um, for, for for government um, for their financial statements. So that's all on the EMMA system. So EMMA today has typically been um, financial statement information filed in a PDF format. So, you know, one of the requirements of the FDTA that they would be moved to a machine-readable format.
0: Another question from the audience. Uh, looking, someone looking for a little bit more clarification. So uh, she wrote, so it's software that is used to, to produce reports. Uh, but XBRL isn't a software, right? It's a it's a framework. Is that is that the right uh, terminology to use?
1: Yeah, it, it's a way of specifying how the data should be structured. So different software can can use that. So if anyone can come and write software, and they can sell that software, and then it can use that standard. Um, so, so it, it's it's not software per se, but it is used by software, and that's where people get confused because they think, oh, this is X, you know, it's XBRL software. Um, well, you you need software to be able to handle it because all the data is machine readable, and basically the software is the thing that um, <laughs> that reads the data. So you need software to be able to use XBRL. But at the same time, the standard is just saying, "Hey, this is this is how the data will be structured when you come to use it." So humans can read that, um, obviously, but. You know, obviously, to make use of it, you need, you need software to be able to manipulate it. And, and most of the software falls into the following categories. So you have software which helps you create XBRL um, documents, which you could think of that as like a TurboTax. Doing, you know, that TurboTax basically allows you to take data and put it in a format that the IRS understands. So there's software for XBRL which does that. Um, and there's a number of there's a number of data there's a number of software vendors who provide software that allow you to create XBRL software. Um, And then there's tools which are like utilities, which allow you to take XBRL taxonomies and be able to read them. Um, or tools that allow you to be able to take XBRL data and extract that and put it into another format, or to put it into into a model, or to put it into some kind of other software that you may have. If you wanted to, if you wanted to build a trading algorithm that just basically took information, it could read it from the XBRL format, it, take that data in the XBRL format, read it, unambiguously understand it, and then be able to make you know make trades on it. Someone may want to take that data and use Excel basically as a software that can manipulate XBRL. Data. Um, so all of these is software that's just really interacting with data that it's in an XBRL format. And, and the advantage that has is that if someone just said, oh, we're not going to use XBRL, you know, I'm just going to make up my own set of tags, then you're going to have to go and find a software vendor who's going to have to go and support your standard. And that's really, really hard, and no one's going to do it. And then the only person going to be running software is going to be you, and that's going to cost you thousands of times what would have otherwise and and that's typically what has happened to some extent in the u.s regulators create their own standard and then you get these niches of software providers like FERC had software providers who only supported FERC SEC only had software providers who only supported SEC um, the um, FDIC only had software providers who supported FDIC because they, only, they all created their own standards. And overseas, you had the same thing. Um, but now, you know, we have software providers who used to provoke you know, just support FERC. Since they went to XBRL, then they are oh, they can support SEC filers, and they can support FDIC filers, and they can support filers in Europe, which they which they do because you know people in Europe are now reporting in XBRL. So basically, it, it opens up the market for software vendors, but that's good for users of XBRL because now when you've got more competition in the market, price the prices, you know, the cost goes down.
0: Another audience question, uh, they wrote, I somehow had the impression that XBRL focused on reports pertaining to numerical values. For SOX compliance, for example, the CEO, CFO certifications of the accuracy of the reported financial data, how would XBRL work in this instance?
1: Right. So, so XBRL can be used for any data. Really, it can be used for numerical data, or performance data, or textual data, strings. Um, so, XBRL can be used for all of this, all of this type of information. Um, it, it, it really depends on the the whoever's you know whoever's trying to collect that information, how detailed they want to define their, their taxonomy. And then there's a lot of information which is I, I would put them to category of flags. Right. You know, um, and the in, in particular, the FASB has added a lot of these, which is like I have adopted this policy proposal, and they could, and then they could put a flag, true or false, or um, I'm I'm using this method of accounting, or I'm depreciating things on a what's, a bit, you know, straight line basis or whatever. So um, as long as that's defined in the taxonomy, then that can be that can be picked up and that can be clear. Um, so if there's things like SOX compliance and what what's happening. Um, in general, where you've got kind of more unstructured type stuff, um, you, you can broadly categorize those into different types of information. And that's that's typically um, what's being done is to take like a big text document and break it up into different sections which represent different areas. And, and that's proved extremely useful for um, text reading software. So at least it knows where to go and look. Um, and it knows that this type of information is the type of information it needs. So, so that's helped with AI learning models, um uh, as well because then they can basically they can get much better and more accurate results
0: <clears throat> so, you, so you said it can be used for information beyond just numerical data and another question from the audience does xbrl need to adapt to new esg disclosures or is it agnostic does that make sense
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So basically you need a taxonomy, which basically defines the data you wanna collect um, for ESG data and in fact there are I think there are four ESG taxonomies at this point. Um, there was GRI taxonomy was done many years ago, um, but that standard, you know, hasn't, you know, has been adopted to some extent. Um, but some of the new proposed ESG standards, particularly in Europe, there's something called um, Efrag, um, and that they've built a taxonomy, an Excel taxonomy for reporting ESG disclosures. Um, IASB has um, is also coming up with standards relative to ESG and that that information's already been published as an XBRL taxonomy, Um, so you can go and look at that as well. Um, They have picked up a taxonomy from a group called the SASB, which is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, and they had produced a taxonomy a couple of years ago, and that's formed the basis um, for the IFRS taxonomy. So they're kind of being... Updated um, for for those standards. Now, the SEC, in their proposed rule on ESG standards, had indicated that you know, they would probably require people to report that data in, in an XPRL format, um, and maybe they'll use the, the, the taxonomy published by IASB, no, no one knows, who knows where that's come, what's going to come out there, but, but particularly in Europe, um, corporates, you know, who are, are going to be doing ESG, who are going to require to report um, ESG disclosures in Europe will probably be using XBRL because that's the, that seems to be the path that they're headed down.
0: So for someone early in their career, which, as I mentioned, a lot of a lot of the folks on the call are, uh, how familiar with XBRL are they expected to be? So I know obviously it depends on kind of their career goals and and where they're going to end up in in finance. But what are the expectations right now and how is that going to change in the
1: future? I, you know, all I can say on that is. Knowing how this works and being able to use it would make you incredibly more effective um, in your job um, and what you're doing. Um, what people's expectation is, is is obviously dependent on where you are, but I, I, I think you know if you if you know how to use this, you know how to use Experial, know what it's about, and how to um, create. You know, not even create Excel, but be able to use it. It can certainly make your life significantly easier, um, and certainly give you a lot more um, insights. And, and you know, for me personally, I, I use this data all the time for investing. Um, it's a great way to to find um, data. Um, and to, to analyze companies. So I, you know, even if you have your job I would recommend using. It. I, I personally do, but um, I, I think it can give you uh, it, it means you can learn, um, you can do you can be a lot more effective and efficient in a lot of the things you're doing. Um, be it for understanding US GAAP, for example, you know, you can query, you know, the tax being able to go and look at the US GAAP taxonomy is much, much easier. Um, through a taxonomy viewer than going and reading through all the standards. You can kind of get a much better idea of what's required to be reported. Um, it, to me, it just seems significantly easier. So, I, you know, if there's an expectation, if there's no expectation that you use it, it's probably worthwhile finding out about it um, because I think in a lot of things that you're going to be asked to do if you have knowledge of that, that you could certainly um, do a lot of the tasks that you'll be asked to do it a lot faster and a lot more easily than you would if you didn't know
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about some resources earlier. Uh, you mentioned just sort of playing around with some SEC filings and XBRL, obviously being a great resource. Someone asked um, in the audience: Is there a book with all of this data in it? Are there are there any book recommendations that you have when it comes to to XBRL?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't really have any book. I don't have any. <laughs> um, I don't have any book. I, there's a number of books that have been written over the years on XBRL, so I, I'm sure that you know. I know that, from what I've heard, they're all, they're all, they're all fine. Um, you know, I, I, I think the best way to, to really find out about it is to just to go and um, start playing with the data. That, that's probably the best way to learn and then just work it out, a lot of it that way. Um, and then we, as I mentioned, Xperol International um, we're XBRL US, XBRL International. We're a jurisdiction of Expero International. Expero International is responsible for publishing the Expero specification, and they have a lot of material on their website um, in terms of what the specification is and how it works. Uh, we also have a lot of material on our website as well, so that's probably you know a, a good place to look. But I, I would try and find some of these primers. Um, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose to some extent, but um, having a just downloading the API. And playing with the data is probably one of the best ways to, to do that and then just then just get familiar with it and then you can, you know, then questions will start coming out from doing that.
0: Another audience question, I use the software of SAS and could you comment on whether SAS is compatible with XBRL? Thanks
1: so with sas you just need to be able to get the data into a uh and many of these things like r as well is into, just into a framework or into a csv format so um you know i'm not sure if sas has an expo module but um you can you know you you can pull the data from the sec and there is software that you can use um, like a role is an open source software you can use to convert that data um you could use our API, you can pull that data back. The SEC has an API on their website which allows you to, to pull that data back. And then once you get that data from an API, then obviously you can load that straight into ECS as well.
0: Another question, what is the US website? So
1: it's XBRL.us, XBRL. right? Yes. Great. Okay. And XBRL International is XBRL.org.
0: So, a question that I have was there pushback to XBRL when it was sort of first introduced? What were the concerns, if any, around it? Uh,
1: the, in the within the US, um, there were concerns with the SEC. There were, a lot of, there were a lot of concerns around this, you know, in terms of what was going to be the cost. Of doing this, what was the cost for all these companies to absorb this data? Um, There was concerns that no one ever looks at this data. Um, I don't know if that was true. Um, Yeah, most of the concerns, as I recall, were around um, it's not possible to do this. A lot of there were a lot of people who didn't who believed the data itself was you know, um, so unstructured that you couldn't put it into a standardized format um, and so that XBRL wouldn't work. And there, there was a lot of pushback at the start. Um, then cost. Um, now I, I think most people, it's generally accepted, you know, in terms of doing it, there's, there's, there is a constant um, back, well, who's using the data, who's using the data. Um, I know we get millions of requests for data from our, against our API. So, you know, predominantly, the people we've seen using it are um, investors and individuals, pe- policy people wanting to query the data. Um, so, you get a broad range of users, academics, um so there's 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 a broad range of you know tax people using it because they want to see what tax strategies people are using you know the investment banks use it a lot because they want to look at pension funds how people are investing their pensions um you know what products what derivative products are people using can they you know suggest different derivative strategies for companies so there's a there's a much broader use of people using it for different purposes, which no one re- even talked about when it's initially adopted. So having that data available, you know, drops the cost significantly for the data there. So then people can offer services that they wouldn't have been able to offer in the past because it would have been too expensive for them to do it.
0: And Campbell, how did you get interested in XBRL in the first place, or, or not interested? Because um, I'm sure in your in your position before being at XBRL, you were already starting to hear about it and learn about it. But how I mean, what was it like sort of getting accustomed to it and and what do you like about it now?
1: So I, I originally got involved because I, I was in Morgan Stanley and we, mm-hmm. were, we collected um, data to do analysis and we were preparing models and doing forecasts and um, obviously doing rankings, ratings of companies. Um, and we always wanted more data um, and there was a lot of data that wasn't available, or that it was delayed, or it was there manual to collect that information. So we, it, Morgan Stanley, had originally got involved in um, the development of XBRL very early because it was a, a good way to be able to, um, you know, we saw that as a, a pro, you know, a solution to a problem, um, and so that was. That's why, you know, that's what the reason I initially got involved is we, were, we really wanted access to this information. Um, and then I, I basically transitioned from Morgan Stanley to expro US because I thought, you know, hey, I, you know this this is, you know, this is the only way we can make sure that, you know, to some extent we wanted to get involved and basically push forward with this to make sure that we can get all this data available um, so that we could use it. And it's taken a lot longer than I'd hoped. Um, you know, obviously we wanted to get, even at Morgan Stanley, we wanted from the fixed income side. We wanted all the data for, for government data and for equity data as well. Um, so it looks like we're finally going to get to the point where we might be able to get um, information, you know, public, public data as well for um, government entities as well. So that's why I originally got involved. Um, I was really to get the data and for the analysis and to, to have access to this information.
0: And the last question that I have for you is just as far as you know, for maybe students who are on the call, um, are there careers in XBRL outside of, you know, for instance, being at XBRL US or being at XBRL International? Um, Are are people able to make XBRL their entire career? It might be a, a silly question, but curious.
1: Well, I, 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 that would be like saying is that I, I suppose would be the equivalent of saying is it possible to make a career out of knowing Excel? I, mm. I, I see it more as a tool that it's a something you should be aware of and be knowledgeable about, um, so because it's going to it's going to certainly help. Um, and you know, obviously, as you know, having a knowledge of data and how to understand understand data and to be able to draw conclusions and make decisions, Um, having, you know, just having knowledge of what XPRL is 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 certainly going to be beneficial um, so that you know how to get this data. And obviously one of the things that, you know, is happening is more and more data is being put into a structured format um, and being used by, you know, and being made available uh, in a more broader fashion. So I, I think just generally having, ac- you know, the ability to, to get data, to query data, to be able to manipulate information, be able to get that information in a way which you can make useful decisions from, this is just, just just generally a very useful skill set. And, and, if, and if you don't, then it's going to p- certainly put you at a disadvantage compared to those people who do. It
0: definitely seems like a, a big leg up. Uh, so I congratulate everybody who, who joined with us today (laughs) to listen. Um, Campbell, any thoughts before, uh, we end our discussion, any final, final
1: thoughts? no well thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to everyone today and if anyone has any questions um please feel free to reach out to us we can certainly get you more details and if you want to learn more um we certainly you know want to, we're not for profit anything we can do to to help and if there's things that are confusing or you, you you think could be explained better we certainly want to hear um about that um and if you want to get involved we have a number of working groups I And mean, if you're a student um you know, let us know uh, where you're from if you want to know more, because then maybe you're at university, there may be academics who are already at your institution who are um, already following Expro. We can certainly put you in touch with them as well.
0: Thank you so much, Campbell. Thank you for your time today. And thank you everyone for your great questions. We really, really appreciate it.